folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and wow, do we have a great show with one of our faves, and this is the perfect example of the power of the Enneagram as a transformational tool. Our guest today is Kirsten Powers. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She is a USA Today columnist, and she is a senior political analyst for CNN. She's been published in Wall Street Journal, Dallas Morning News, New York Observer, on and on and on and on. She has used the Enneagram in a way to facilitate some powerful transformation that she shares with us today, as well as sharing her new book, Saving Grace. When we get into her book and more today, we have a great time. I know you're going to enjoy this interview. So happy to have Kirsten with us. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Kirsten Powers, author of the new book, Saving Grace, Speak Your Truth, Stay Centered, and Learn to Coexist with People Who Drive You Nuts. Hello. Welcome to Typology <laughs> again. I know. I love this. This is my favorite podcast. You know that. Oh, oh wow. It continue. is. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Go on. Seriously, I've learned so much from this. And actually, this played a pretty big role. And my conversations with you about the Enneagram played a pretty, pretty big role in me being able to get to a place of being able to practice grace. Mm, that is so wonderful to hear. I'm just curious. Just This is a random question that just came to me. When you are with guests on shows, when you're doing, you know, your CNN jam and stuff like that, do you ever think about the Enneagram? Like, who is this person across from me? Do you, with self-awareness, think about your own Enneagram type? I mean, does it ever come into your mind? I have thought it maybe more about people that I work with on a regular basis, like maybe the hosts, uh, less than the guests, Like I suppose. Uh, I definitely use it in my own life. I think about it a lot with other people, people that I'm in a relationship with. But for people who come on and that I'm on with occasionally, I just don't think I'm with them enough to really, I'm not as a, you know, I'm not like you. I don't think I could probably figure it out that quickly versus a host that I've worked with year after year. I can get a better, start to get a, maybe a better feel for what they might be. Okay. Well, we won't, we won't out your co-workers and ask you to tell me what Don <laughs> let's Lemon's- do, Let's type everybody <laughs> at CNN. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really need to know what Wolf Blitzer or Don Lemon's numbers are, though I'd like to know. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome back to the show. I am so stoked to talk about this book because it is Everything in it is in my mind right now as we mm. head into the holidays and we're thinking about, okay, I'm going home to crazy people. <laughs> I, I am going home to crazy people and yeah. I, I have run out of ideas about how to connect with them or have a decent conversation with them because it always or not up, lose your mind or not lose your mind right. or end yeah. up in a bloodbath where relationships yeah. are broken forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Tell everybody about the book Enneagram 8. <laughs> well, so this book is in many ways, it's a survival guide uh, for how you can use grace as a way to not end up in the bloodbath and to not end up feeling like you're uh, losing your mind, which I definitely felt that way. Forget about going home for the holidays, just existing in the world, especially doing what I do, right? Um, working in the, the journalism and political world. 
this was just a day-to-day thing for me. And what I found was that I was really taking on other people's ideas and beliefs and was judging them and demonizing them. And in doing so, was kind of being come, becoming intertwined with them right? And mm-hmm. taking on a lot of their stuff. And I basically hit a wall in 2018 and realized this is unsustainable. I can't, I can't go on like this. Uh, I'm miserable. I have chronic anxiety and chronic fatigue and pain. And it was, you know, manifesting in my body. I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to this mm-hmm. post 2016. It just, it became very difficult. And so I got to, it was around the end of 2018 and I just hit a wall and said, I can't do this anymore and how do i how do i align myself more with what i say i believe which is loving my neighbor and loving my enemies which i was so far away from <laughs> it was kind of a joke and i sort of had an intuition that it was grace that would help me and that was something that was really missing in our culture and then i had to figure out how do you get from this place where you know I was feeling all this, I mean, if I'm being honest, hatred sometimes uh, to, a, to a place where I feel more aligned with, with my, what I say I believe and where I can operate with more grace. And this book is really that story. It's a story of that journey um, and all the different tools that I figured out along the way to help me develop a, a practice of grace. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I have to believe, and I love what you've said, and you've already alluded to it, that for an Enneagram 8 to make the journey i can see and hear the journey that you've been on uh who by virtue of temperament and early life experience often thrives in Mm -hmm. uh, cage match like environments right where there's a lot of heat there's a lot of debate there's a lot of binary thinking there's a lot of black and white happening uh, and there's just a lot of juice. I mean, I mean, a lot of Enneagram eights, particularly not very healthy eights. So I'm not talking about you. They, well, actually, I, I was very unhealthy. Okay, I think. Yeah, so, so, so then, where there's all this juice happening, right? And you, where you get calories. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you gain calories from that. Uh, to making this journey to a conversation about grace to me that's a journy of healing from an unhealthy enneagram eight to a healthy enneagram eight Mm -hmm. yes that's exactly right well and i also think that's why it was so hard for me and Mm. i i i almost gave up on it many times and i i can remember saying to my fiance i'm just not cut out for this Mm -hmm. you know this isn't what i want to do and he said right that's why you need to write the book because you know somebody who's just has this natural temperament in this direction, um, you know, it's not going to be as powerful as somebody who has to struggle with it the way you do. And frankly, the way most people do struggle, mm-hmm. maybe not as much as an eight would struggle, but, but I was very unhealthy and I was very locked into that binary thinking. I mean, I, I think binary thinking is a problem for all of us, but, but I was particularly locked into it. And I think, you know, one of the things that where one of my major aha moments, and I think I discussed this when I was on with you last was when I was listening to you on one of your episodes um, talking about how people always say, I'm an eight or I'm a three. And you said, no, that's the personality you created in response to trauma. Right. And that was a real turning point for me where I, where I actually started to realize, oh, this is not just righteousness, right? This is actually a trauma response. Mm. 
And, and that's when I started to recognize that something was off. And whereas I used to be somebody who thrived in the arguing and, and dominating people. And I'm, I'm a great arguer and I could really, you know, win these arguments. And, um, I'm now, I have no interest in that. None. I, I just, I have absolutely no interest in art in arguing with people. I want to have conversations with people and I want to understand how people think. Um, but I just, I don't have any interest in that whatsoever. And so it's, it's just, I've become actually a, almost a completely different person. Mm. So random question. How does CNN feel about your new ironic disposition? <laughs> Well, I don't know because, you know, the truth is I, as I was going through most of this process was during the pandemic. So I actually wasn't really even on air that much because Mm. most of the people that were on were, you know, Sanjay Gupta or epidemiologists or infectious disease specialists. So I had a lot of time away. And so I've just started kind of getting back into things. And I, I think that I'm still, I'm still very clear about naming things that are wrong, right? So so maybe I should just back up for a second and say that I think that the problem with me wasn't as much my behavior as my internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. So so people would look at me and people would say, you're so graceful. You know, that person was acting so crazy, crazy and you were so graceful. But it wasn't that I was graceful. It's just that I'm a really good debater. Mm-hmm. And I'm also my trauma response is is flight. So I was dissociated most of the time. So mm-hmm. I, I wasn't actually. Be, and it, isn't that interesting that that my trauma actually made me good at this job because I was able to be detached emotionally. And so I would just be, it just would be me thinking very clearly and not feeling very much because I was so disconnected from what I felt Mm. Um, versus now my behavior may look, and then, and then I would leave and I would immediately be like that horrible, rotten, no good person, you know, and the contempt and the judgment and all those things, but you just don't see that on the outside. Um, And so now you might see similar behavior, but I'm actually doing it from a grounded place. I'm not dissociated. I'm grounded and I'm not going down that road of judgment. I'm just naming the problem and I'm moving on. Like I'm mm. not taking on other people's behavior, which is what I was doing before. And, th- and that's what Grace has done for me is that I can look at another person and say, I can see clearly that this is a problem and I can name it, but I don't have to judge you. I don't have to shame you. I don't have to label you. um, And I don't have to take this on and marinate in it. And then, you know, suddenly I'm like laying in bed at night, you know, thinking of all the things I should have said to the person and all these other things that were making me so miserable. Yes. And miserable is a good word because uh, Anthony knows this story. About three months ago, I sat down and I thought to myself, I'm kind of miserable, Mm. right? And I said, why don't you just write down a few things that make you miserable, right? And just to see what you can do, right? Like, just write down a few things. Because it wasn't one thing. It was a a constellation of different habits and things I was doing and thinking, right? And the first thing I wrote down is stop watching the news. Mm Mm-hmm. I literally wrote that down. And in fact, this morning I was, I listened twice to Lucas Nelson's new song, Stop the News. <laughs> Do you know, awesome. he's Willie Nelson's son. He's fantastic. Yeah. And, and he's written a great album. Uh, 
I just gave up. I, I just, because for the very same reason, reasons you're articulating, I found myself becoming rageful, hateful. Uh, I was demonizing other people. It, 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 and actually it tanked my mood. If I watched or read mm. the news in the morning and I would always read seven or eight outlets in the morning, it tanked me and it turned me into somebody I really disliked. So the first thing I did was I gave up the news. I have not watched or read the news. I, I read local news. I read the Tennessean because I think I should know what's happening in my city. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I've given up. Mm. And I hate to say it, it has made me infinitely better as a human being. Well, so I did, you know, in the book, I talk about the first thing I did was I got off social media and I seriously dialed back my news consumption. Um, the one thing I would say is that that. The one of the things I hope this book can help people do is to be able to stay a little more engaged rather than because I am hearing this a lot from people saying, I'm just I can't handle it. I have to tune out. And and we do need to stay engaged. Right. There are really serious things happening in the country at the national level that I think we do need to know about and we need to be informed about. So so I think if people can use the tools in this book to you know, learn how to to use grace sort of as their buffer um, and 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 do a sort of experiment of, so I'm going to read, you know, I'm going to, what's the best way I can consume the news? Where can I go to the news where I don't feel like I'm, I'm reading somebody like the Arthur Brooks calls rhetorical dope peddlers, basically people right. who are just trying to get you jacked up on outrage and hatred. You know, where can I go just to read a story about what's going on and I know what's going on. When you watch TV news, see at what point you start to feel a little activated. Um, when you when you are consuming news, you should feel informed. You shouldn't feel activated to hate half the country, right? That's not like that's not the point of it. And so initially I had to go cold turkey. And and I just consumed what I needed to consume for work. And now I can consume a little bit more. Now I, I can go on social media a little bit more because my boundaries are so strong uh, that I just don't, when I see something, I don't, I just, I don't take the bait. I'm like, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to demonize you. I'm just moving on. Like, I just am a no to this. This is not for me. I love that as an eight, you are paying attention to what you're feeling while you're watching the news. Yes. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think really becoming integrated and well, and, you know, and for me, I had to, and and I think a lot of people need to do this. I had to integrate my trauma. I had to Mm -hmm. deal with, with my trauma. And when I was able to do that, and for me, it was, it was mostly done at onsite. um, Mm -hmm. And, but I did also work with a trauma informed therapist who spent a lot of time with me and you will appreciate this knowing about AIDS on trying to help me understand what non-judgment was Mm. (laughs) because I had a very hard time with it. Mm. And, um, and so, uh, you know, when I was, when I was able to do that and I wasn't, I, when I didn't need to judge people and demonize them to feel safe, because that's what I was doing. And I said, then I was able to have more capacity to just look at another person and say, I see what you're doing. Um, I, 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 I actually believe you're doing the best you can with what you have, um, even if I don't think it's that great. Um, and I'm not going to look at you as just the thing you're doing or the thing you're saying. I'm going to see you in all of your humanity. But I'm also going to be realistically that I don't have the capacity to be taking on everybody's stuff, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think what you said about the local news is is important because we're not really designed to bear the burdens of the entire world, mm-hmm. right? Like, like not that long ago when I was growing up, 
like you, you basically knew what was going on in your town. You know, I mean, maybe you knew what was going on in a couple towns over but, and you had a general idea of what was going on in the world. But really what what was consuming you was just what was happening in your community. And that's what you were you were bearing. Now we're bearing just nonstop, mm-hmm. um, you know, just horrible news. And, and our systems can't handle it. No. And 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 then I, you know, I have the the chapter called, you know, whatever what what goes in must come out. It's gonna come out somehow. It's either gonna turn into a migraine or neck pain or you screaming at somebody. Exactly. But there's no way you're gonna take in all that information and have grace for people. Like no. it is not gonna happen. No, I love this. I know it's so I'm, good. <laughs> I'm loving this. Yeah. This is gonna be a two-parter. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's really speaking to me and is speaking to how do I achieve spiritual growth? How do I embody the, the best expression of who I am, of the person I want to be? Oh, and- that's so good. Yes. Well, because you really hit on something. That was one of my turning points because, you know, I was um, trying to think exactly, you know, when I first started shifting was I was 49 and I, and I was, you know, looking at turning 50 and I, was, uh, discovered Richard Rohr and I was reading falling upward. And I, and I did have started to have this, who do I want to be? Mm. Um, I'm a grown up. I am supposed to be at this point in my life, actually becoming kind of an elder, right? Even though in our society, you know, everybody's trying to hang on to youth for as long as possible. Um, and, and so when I hit that wall, which for me was really in 2018, that was one of the questions I asked myself. It's like, who do I want to be? What, what, like I'm a grown up and I need to act like a grown up. And I'm sorry, grown ups don't go on Twitter and start being snarky and putting people down and dragging people and doing all these other things. Like this is, this is arrested development. Mm. And, um, and I need to contend with that. And I need to contend with the fact that I live in a culture that doesn't really have a problem with this. <laughs> yes. So listen up, everybody. Uh, we are talking with my friend Enneagram 8, Kirsten Powers, who has been on a remarkable journey, moving from I, what I'm hearing, an unhealthy 8 on autopilot, raging, arguing, debating, demonizing, vilifying, all the things that an unhealthy 8 might do. Based in now, she's learned that so much of this was rooted in trauma that she leveraged that trauma to create a very successful career in uh, television news and media, and now has migrated toward this sort of, I think, sort of high end of two, right? Yeah. Embodying attunement to other people's feelings, mm-hmm. warmth, generosity, graciousness, while not compromising, right, uh, on her firmly held beliefs, but perhaps expressing them in a more, I love the word, ironic, you know, reconciliatory mm-hmm. uh, kind of, from a reconciliatory posture. You mentioned on-site. I want to just say I've been to on-site workshops in Cumberland Furnace, Tennessee, free ad, Miles Adcox. There it is. <laughs> you can pay me later. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to, to work on yourself. And I want you now, as an Enneagram 8, to walk us through the tools of how to become less enraged, now more gracious people in the world world. Okay. Well, I think that um, I'm trying to go back to the first thing I did. The first thing that I did was, first of all, you have to just want to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people don't really want to do it. And you need to understand what grace is and what grace isn't. And I spent a lot of time in the book Mm -hmm. talking about that. Um, A lot of us have the idea that grace means rolling over, being a doormat, or letting people get away with things, or not holding people accountable. 
None of those things are accurate. Grace is just unmerited favor. It just mm. means you look mm. at another person, and if you're a believer, you see them as a child of God. You see the divine spark in them. If you're not a believer, you just see the humanity in them, and you see them as more than the thing about them that's upsetting you or that they've done that is harmful. And so if you can understand it that way, then I think that that will help you. And I think the tools for uh, practicing grace are uh, the, the biggest one is boundaries. Uh, that was that was what was, I think, so life-changing to me. And that can be boundaries in your relationships. And that can be boundaries like what we were just talking about, about what you let into your your mind and your body. What mm. do you expose yourself to? What? Uh, how much time do you spend on social media, if at all? Uh, what kind of news you consume? Um, what kind of you know all those kinds of things? And then you have the boundaries that you, with the people in your life, where you might have somebody who believes things that you think are harmful, and they're constantly talking to you about it. And you can decide whether you have the capacity to have that conversation. If you don't, then you have to let them know that. You have to use boundaries rather than boundaries are an act of grace um, mm -hmm. because it lets people know how to be in relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Like I used to think the boundaries were like a wall around you and basically like stay out. And then when I learned like, no, boundaries are just showing people where the door is. So you're, you're actually saying to your family member, I love you and I want to be in relationship with you. And this is, I'm telling you how to be in relationship with me and, 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 and how you can be in relationship with with me is to not say these kinds of things to me because you know we don't agree on this and you're not going to change my mind and I'm not going to change your mind so can we find some other things to talk about um now I do say there are some things that I think uh and this is very much maybe this is my Enneagram 8 coming out but there are some things like I said when it comes to injustice when it comes to inequality when it comes to these kinds of things when you hear people saying these things that are you know that need to be dealt with you have to ask yourself, am I avoiding this conversation because it's unsafe? Because that's what a lot of people say. Well, it's, it's, it's unsafe. I can't have this conversation. It's going to be too upsetting. Or is it uncomfortable? And if it's uncomfortable, then I'm going to say, you're going to have to have an uncomfortable conversation. Mm -hmm. And so, so your next tool is learn how to have healthy conflict. And I have a whole chapter on it that there actually is a way to have hard conversations where people have a lot of big feelings um, that are in a healthy way where both sides can walk away saying, even if I didn't change my mind, that was worthwhile. Oh. I, I was seen, I was heard, I was able to express my feelings. Um, and, and then there's, I, I get into a lot of the social science that they have found around if you actually do want to change a person's mind, they're there are ways to do it, and it's not calling them names and yelling at them <laughs> and demonizing them. And, and so really to learn those tools, learn, to, learn about brain science, learn about how people's brains and your brains are pull them towards confirmation bias and binary sorting and, and all of these things that make finding common ground very difficult. Um, and when you do that, you'll be less likely to judge another person, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're going to say, I get that. I do that. I, I can see what's going on here. This person's, you know, our brains are always trying to keep us safe. Um, develop humility. Uh, have a whole chapter on developing humility where if you can see the things that you have done 
like get real about the fact that you have not always done it the right way. You have not always believed the right things. And when you do that, then it's easier when you see someone else doing something like that's how it is for me now, because I took the time to do that. I can look at somebody and go, yeah, I know how that is. I know how it is to say something that you look back and think I shouldn't have said that. I know how it is to believe something that I don't believe anymore. You know, it's you're able to have empathy for people, uh, you know, versus judging them. I love this too because you you're an eight, and in your book you talk about a healthy peacemaker. So that's like mm-hmm. moving to that nine wing too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, well, so and actually I make the distinction between peacekeeping and peacemaking because right. uh you know, a peacekeeper is is someone who doesn't want they just they don't want to deal with anything. They're like, I want to go watch Netflix. I don't want to deal with my grandma who's saying racist things, right? It's like they're and a, a peacemaker is somebody who is willing to enter into conflict for the purposes of creating peace and wholeness. And so, um, and so I think that's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, it implies conflict. Uh, if, if two countries are in conflict or even at war and, and peace is going to be made, there's going to be conflict and there's going to be things that people disagree on, but the ultimate goal is wholeness and peace. And so, um, I think sometimes when we think of peace, we think of it as, as meaning there's no, there's no conflict. Right. And, and I think there are also some people in, in Ian, you can speak to this much better than I can, but there are a lot of people who try to pass off their unwillingness to confront anything as grace. (laughs) And so, you know, where they'll say, you know, well, I'm just, I'm so graceful. I just let everything go. It's like, well, actually, I think you just don't ever want to have any conflict. Like an Enneagram nine might be somebody that would do that. Yes. And I want to just say right here, I'm going to throw my pencil up in the air and just say, Kirsten, that you have completely changed or you have said something that I am going to use in every single talk I give on the Enneagram going forward. Oh my gosh, what is yes. it? <laughs> I'm going to be doing it when I do my module on nines and I'm going to say, look, the journey for you is from peacemaker, no, uh, peacekeeper, peacekeeper to peacemaker, to a real peacemaker. And, it, and then to define the difference, because that is a wonderful distinction that, that you just made. Mm. The willingness to, or to understand that, or to arrive at genuine peace mm. will necessarily involve mm-hmm. conflict of some kind. Mm-hmm. That is worth the whole price of admission today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, awesome. conflict when it's done correctly, you know, creates intimacy and connection. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I think for for me, the way to for an as an Enneagram eight, the thing that was paradigm shifting for me was when I I I realized that grace was allowing other people, it was giving other people the space to not be me. And that was just like, you know what I, because for me as an Enneagram eight, it really was hard, especially because I was so locked into that binary thinking to believe that another person who was believing things that I thought were harmful could possibly be anything short of evil. Yes. And you know, I've, I've, yes, I, I've actually reached a point in my life where I have to remind, we tend to totalize people. Mm-hmm. So we think, okay, well, if you disagree with me, you are totally bad. Mm-hmm. There's nothing redemptive. There's nothing good about you. You are evil, right? Yep. And then what happens now for me is I go, all right, now, hold on a second. If I believe the gospel, nobody is totally bad. 
so you know in other words this person i mean i'm mean, i'm talking within the bell curve of reason here you know yeah, what i mean like you know, we can see some yeah. people get really bad you know maybe yeah. hit 98% but what i am yeah. saying is that people you know this person goes home and pets their dog and they they make a beautiful meal for their children because they love them or they you know what i mean like in other words there are pieces of this person that i am not baking into my calculations mm-hmm. that are real and remember that they're the, the, there's a whole person here, not just the, the the point of view that they are, you know, pumping out into the world at this present moment. And remember, for me, again, I think this is the source of so many problems in the world is this person is anxious and they're in pain. And mm-hmm. that pain and that anxiety is is a lot of what is underneath the rhetoric yes. and the opinions. And to remember, there's like like a good Buddhist, I'd say, remember, everybody is suffering. Yeah. And what they're articulating is probably bubbling up. I know I guarantee you it is bubbling up in many ways from that anxiety about the world, mm-hmm. about others. And also it's 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 just also that um, fear of losing control, the world they love or mm-hmm. that made them feel safe, you know, it, and, yeah. and so forth. And well, so and on. also I think you alluded to this earlier. It's unconscious. Oh, yeah. You right. know, I mean, when I when I went back and kind of did an audit of my last 15 years in the public eye, I, I, I mean, some of it, I honestly don't even remember doing it. And I've wrote it, you know, and I'm like, I wrote this or I said this. I thought this like what? You know, it's just it, I was so unconscious. And so and, and to the point of what you were just saying that we will reduce other people. You know, it's like somebody lies to us. Well, they're a liar. You know, but when we tell a lie, it's like, well, I mean, I kind of had to do it. And there's all these reasons. And, you know, we have this way of justifying, you know, with ourselves, but then reducing other people down to just the thing that they did, which is why just treating other people the way that, Mm. you know, do unto others as you would have done to you is just a great idea to follow in your life. Because if you just ask, how would I want to be treated if I screwed up? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how would I want to be treated if I, you know, had a belief that, you know, was problematic? Would I want somebody to shame me or would I want somebody to kind of call me in and help me see that I, um, you know, that I'm that I'm off here? But, and 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 to rec- when we recognize people are doing the best they can with the tools they have, which is very hard to do, I think. Um, I see a lot of people when I say that to people, they'll say, but, you know, I I, but I would never do what they did. And I said, so if you grew up in their family, in their town, went to the church that they go to, never left, never were exposed to anything other than what they've been exposed to, you would have, you would, you would be different. Now explain how to me how that works. Mm. Mm. What is it about you that is so special that you could be put in any circumstance at any point in history and you would always do the right thing? You know, so it's like that's where the humility comes in of recognizing Mm -hmm. that a lot of where we are getting it right is just the grace of God. You know, it is just that we just happen to be born into the family or into a place, um, had access to an education or whatever it is, you know, or or have dealt with our trauma, you know, have been able to do things like go to onsite. I mean, what a privilege, right? Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people don't get to do that. A lot of people can't afford a therapist. So there, there are a lot of things I think that we have to factor into this. All that said, I am not saying that that means that when people do things that are harmful, that they're not responsible or, or, or that they shouldn't be held accountable, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're grownups, we're adults. And, and when we mess up, uh, there, 
there should be accountability. And I think a lot of times people weaponize grace and they say, just, you know, well, that person did that thing, just look the other way and let it go. And it's like, no, when people cause harm, there should be accountability. But a lot of times what we call accountability can look like annihilation. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why I say, stop and say, am I actually holding the person accountable or am I really acting out of hatred or vengeance or something else where I, I if I'm being totally honest, I kind of want to see their lives destroyed. Right. And yes. I'm kind of, I'm kind of enjoying it. Um, yeah. And, and so that's very different than accountability. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, my, my 12 uh, step sponsor, you know, I, talks a lot about forgiveness. He says, you know, you can forgive someone and send them to jail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, yeah. Right. It's right. like, you know, yeah. it's a, it, don't, don't think it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. You can forgive That's somebody, right. you know, and still say, I don't want to be in a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. That's not, it doesn't yeah. mean because forgiveness, forgiveness is for you. It's, it's not for the other person. Great. Mm-hmm. Same thing with grace. I mean, grace is for you. It's most of the people that I was judging or, or, or you know, marinating in hatred over have no idea that I was doing that. Right. The only person that was suffering was me. Yes. And, you know, I, I'm going to tweak your language just a little bit and you can yeah. push back as an Enneagram 8. But I would say <laughs> I would say that forgiveness is reconciliation, but not necessarily restoration. Huh. Okay. So in other words, you can be reconciled with the, another person and not restore them to the yeah. degree to which they were involved with your life mm-hmm. or, you know. Uh, yeah. So maybe, I, maybe I'm using the wrong word, but that's what I meant. I meant, yeah. you know, so sometimes someone could say, you know, my husband mm-hmm. cheated on me. You know, I forgave him, but I don't want to be married to him anymore. Exactly. That's still, that's still forgiveness. Absolutely. You know, it's like, like forgiveness doesn't mean you have to stay with the person. You could if you wanted to, mm-hmm. but it doesn't require that you stay in relationship with that person. I have a great word picture for that uh, kind of experience. And it's if you have to keep someone in a dungeon and your heart basically out of unforgiveness to make sure they stay there, you have to stay down in the dungeon with them. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Instead of letting go and coming up into the sunlight yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I also love we we recently had uh, Governor Bill Haslam on the show because Mm -hmm. he wrote a book called Faithful Presence. Have you had a chance to look at it yet? I haven't. Mm -mm. So he says a lot of what you're saying probably from a very different through a very different political lens. So that's a little encouraging, right? Yeah. Basically, he's saying, look, he said, we asked the question, he said, look, I used to meet people when I was governor all the time, and I would be thinking to myself in my head, this person is absolutely crazy. <laughs> you know? I would just, it would go through my mind like, you know, a ticker tape, you know, like, Man, this person's crazy. And then he would say, immediately, I would remind myself, this person is also a child of God, and that I needed to treat them as a, as a child of God. And to your point, not necessarily agree, not necessarily, you know, uh, steer away from disagreement, but just to keep it at the forefront of his imagination, of his mind to say, child of God, child of God, child of God. And I think I'm hearing you say the same thing, that that is extending grace to others. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, if you're not a believer, it's just looking at the person saying, you know, just seeing their humanity and that Mm -hmm. they're they're more than then whatever it is in that case that makes you think that they're they're crazy or they have crazy ideas um that there's so much there's so much more to them and that and that I'm sure that they think you have crazy ideas too right oh, yeah. i mean it's it, it goes both ways and so um but i think that um the more we can have some contact with real people that think differently than us it also helps a, a lot because when we like the social science shows that 
Um, now, sometimes it can make you actually, it can actually make it worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But but most of the time, the, I, I cite some social social science where they would ask people, like ask a Republican what they thought about Democrats and vice versa, and, and they'd say, you know, they're mm -hmm. evil, or you know, we'd be better off if large numbers of them died, things like that, right? But then if you ask somebody, do you know anybody who's a member of the other party who you you like and or maybe respect, not a friend, just a person that you know. And as soon as they started thinking about that person, they would start depolarizing because they went mm. from this kind of abstract idea that, of course, is completely formed by the rhetorical dope peddlers, right? It's not it's not based on any like actual experience. And then when they thought about the person that they actually knew, they would be able to say like, yeah, I don't really agree with anything that they believe in, but they're a good person. You know, mm. I, I mean, I can see, I like them. And, and so when, and so if we can do that, it will help us depolarize. And I've done that. Like I've done that around the vaccine mandate because everybody I know pretty much. And I was talking to somebody about it. And I was saying everybody I know got vaccinated. And, um, and then I thought, you know what, actually, that's not true. I said, I actually, I have a friend who didn't get vaccinated. And um, because she's just always been against vaccines. She's very into like health and wellness and she doesn't like pharmaceuticals and whatever, you know, and I don't agree with her. And I just thought when I think about her, I, I love her. Hmm. And right. And so it's just so different when you think about it in the abstract, it's like you, you start, you have all these feelings, but when you think about an actual person that, you know, now that doesn't mean I've changed my opinion. I'm just saying that it's, it keeps me out of the demon demonization space, um, which again, for me was just harming me. What's the quote that you, uh, you quote, uh, Dorothy Soleil. What is it that she says? Oh, it's seeing, it's basically seeing humanity with the eyes through the eyes of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, which is obviously a very different way, I think, than we <laughs> tend to look at each other. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, and that's, that's why for me, I, I keep referring to grace as a practice because I think it's mm. something that it was not, you know, Rome is not built in a day. It's, it, it takes time and there's a lot of different things you have to do. Um, you know, whether it's, dealing with your issues, uh, developing humility, learning boundaries, learning how to have uh, how, how to practice a healthy conflict. Probably the first time you try to do it, it's not going to go perfectly. That doesn't mean you can't keep trying to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, learning how to engage in non-judgment, how to not <clears throat> label other people's behavior. Um, but at the same time, you can continue to name problems. And this, I mean, this is already happening to me because you know, I'm on CNN talking about politics and Republicans are mad at me about things that I'm saying. And then they're emailing me and they're saying, well, that's not graceful that you said this, or that's not graceful that you said that. And it's like, look, me disagreeing with you or even saying something that upsets you does not lack grace. Right. So, you know, and, and if we're being honest, what about you having grace for me? Right. What about you considering the fact that rather than going immediately to you're just you're just a horrible person you're so unkind you're saying these horrible things what if you stopped and thought she actually really believes what she's saying and i, I don't agree with her um and but this is her perspective and and she's not saying it to be mean or to be unkind she's an analyst and she's analyzing a situation 
uh, where, you know, and, and that's, that is going to require me to sometimes say critical things. That's very different than me saying that anybody who believes this or anybody who does this is irredeemable, you know, is rotten to the core yeah. or, or those kinds of things. Right. And so I just think for so long, we've, we've, we've seen grace weaponized and I consider that weaponizing grace. I think when you go to somebody and you try to try to make them not name problems in society by invoking grace, you're weaponizing it mm-hmm. um, because that's not what it's for. And, and that is what it's been used for, for a lot of marginalized groups. When, when people have complained about racism, they've been told, you know, we're just all sinners, just have grace, you know, sort of the spiritual bypassing. And it's like, no, look, people can say things that are critical that doesn't lack grace. That mm-hmm. would be like saying MLK lacked grace, which people did say, right? But that wasn't true. Mm. Um, you know, people said it was divisive, uh, but it wasn't divisive. It was just, it was just say- speaking the truth about the humanity of African Americans. So, so I think some of this is unlearning some of the things that we have thought about grace and recognizing that it's that is something different and that it's also not you know I, I another another thing that people say to me is like well you know grace is just the easy way out it's just letting people off the hook and it's just so, you know it's just easier to give people grace and i say if you think grace is easy you've never practiced grace mm-hmm. Because if you, if you want to know what's easy, it's demonizing and hatred. I can tell you it is like breathing. Mm-hmm. I, I can do it so fast. It is not. It takes zero effort to hate and demonize people. Yes. So to, to actually practice grace is actually takes incredible strength. Okay. I am speaking with my good friend, Kirsten Powers, author of the new book, Saving Grace, Speaking Your Truth, Stay Centered, and Learn to Coexist with People Who Drive You Nuts. I want you to know, endorsed by John Meacham, good endorsed by don lemon easy get um (laughs) not necessarily oh come on (laughs) he doesn't he doesn't blurb that many books (laughs) i'm poking fun at you and of course actually one of my favorites father james martin uh so really kirsten this has been great i feel like it's been a master class for eights oh my word but for all of us right this isn't an episode just for eights i mean you know all of us get hooked yeah by what's happening in the world but i really love this particularly for eights uh and honestly probably for counterphobic sixes would be also be another mm. good one for, mm. for to particularly listen to the episode because you know what we're hearing here is a journey from unhealth to health it's just everywhere inside this Amazing. conversation for an eight yeah and and without us just talking about it as an abstract enneagram idea it's like no here's a story yes a narrative uh, about you know what it means to uh, move from an unhealthy eight to a healthy and more importantly from an unhealthy human being yeah. to yeah. a much healthier human being. So let's get the labels of numbers and stuff yeah. out of there too. You know, like that's just this journey right now. This is going back to the very beginning. I just wanted to say this and it, it really struck me. So there are three types, right? The heart type, the head type, and the gut type. And as an eight, you are in the gut. And you mentioned a lot about kind of, you know, being in your mind and in your gut early on. And then you said you said something that really struck me, and I just think it's so helpful for 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 all of us to do, but for eights in particular. There's a thing called affect labeling, which is basically the scientific term for naming what you're feeling, for putting words to what you're feeling. And there's all this science around it when you're able to name what you're feeling that it significantly lowers your anxiety and keeps you from mm-hmm. having your amygdala hijacked. Yeah. You know? right. And uh, it just strikes me that as because you mentioned 
you really were naming things that you were feeling. And uh, I just can see that it's been a powerful part of the process for you. Yeah. And I really, uh, it was interesting when I first started, uh, you know, because I started doing somatic therapy, right? Where mm-hmm. you start to learn to <laughs> connect with your feelings. And my therapist would say, what are you feeling? And I'd say nothing. <laughs> mm. I just, I, could, I was so disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, now I am much more connected with my feelings, which I'm glad you brought that up because I think some people might might hear me saying, you know, you shouldn't be feeling contempt or, or hatred or rage in these things. And I'm not anti-feeling, like feel mm-hmm. your feelings mm-hmm. um, and then process them and integrate them and learn how, like I said, getting angry is great. It's just like, what do we do with that anger? And so I'm not saying I'm never going to feel contempt again. Of course. I mean, I can't, that's going to happen. I'm not going to say I'm never going to judge someone again. The difference is that when it happens now, I notice it. Whereas Mm -hmm. before it's just, it was just like, it was just like life. Right. I was like, there's nothing wrong with this. Of course I'm judging people. Of course I have contempt for them. They like they're horrible people. Um, And so now I'll kind of go, huh, that's interesting. Okay. I need to kind of, I need to deal with that. I need to, mm-hmm. inter- I have something that needs to be integrated here. I'm maybe I'm projecting something, you know, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of information, right? Mm-hmm. What you're, what you're feeling is actually like great information. Right. I think you nailed it, Ian. This is uh, this is going to be titled the masterclass for eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it will, and it should encourage everybody because yes. I mean, as you said, yeah. Ian, like if an eight can do it, anybody can do it. Mm. <laughs> That's well put. That's a great place to end. I'm talking to my friend Kirsten Powers again. I'm going to keep saying the name of this book because I love it. Saving Grace, Speak Your Truth, Stay Centered, and Learn to Coexist with People Who Drive You Nuts. I want to say, Kirsten, I could do this for another hour. When are you come to could Nashville? Too. When are we going to get together? Soon, like- soon, soon. I have to get to Nashville. I know. We I got to be here as, as soon as I possibly can. But if you come to town, I'm going to take you out for the best dinner of your life. I know you live in D.C. where there's a lot of great food, but I'm going to take you out for something I hope will be the best meal of your I love Nashville. I want to tell everybody that if you want to know more about what's going on with Kirsten, you can check her out on her social links, uh, Instagram.com, Kirsten Powers, K-I-R-S-T-E-N Powers. And that goes across Twitter and Facebook as well. Check out her website, which is promoting her book, www.penguinrandomhouse.com books. And just check out, just plug in Kirsten Powers and everything about it's going to come up. (laughs) I I love you. You are the best. I love you. I can't wait to see you in real life. Oh man, back at you! <laughs> and uh, after uh, this break, uh, we're <laughs> after this word from our sponsors, we're gonna. <laughs> oh man, Kirsten, all the best to you. Much love, much love. Thank you. So much Thank wisdom. You so much for Talk this. soon. What a great conversation. Enneagram lovers, typology tribe. Remember these words: May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time.